0: Please join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As Rebecca Waybright reminded us last week, and as Dan did a fine job of reminding us again this week, We are still very much into the season of Easter. We are still celebrating the resurrection of Christ. And we are still living within that hope and in that mystery that comes along with Easter. And today's text, today's gospel reading in Luke is no exception. In fact, the gospel reading in Luke 24 that Reuben read for us, in fact, is an Easter day story. It happened on the morning of Easter. So if you can pretend it's two weeks earlier, pretend that this is Easter morning again for us so that we can get ourselves into that spirit again of what it was like that Easter morning. And what we find is after in Luke, when two women went to the, when a few women went to the tomb and found it empty, Jesus had not appeared to them. Uh, we were using the John text on Easter two weeks ago, so Jesus was there. But here, Jesus had not appeared. They just found the tomb empty, and angels told them that Jesus was no longer there. But now, we have these women coming back and telling the apostles, and there were some mixed reactions, not sure what to do with this. And then we find these two people walking along the way to Emmaus. We know the name of one of them, Cleopas, but we don't even know the other Name and they're walking along. Now, it is believed based on some of the details and some of the facts here that these people were in the inner circle of Jesus. They probably were not, as we know because of the names, one of the two of the twelve disciples, but we also know that there was a group of people that walked along very closely with Jesus men and women who were sort of part of their inner circle. So they were very familiar with Jesus. They knew him, they knew his stories, they knew his people. And two of these people were walking along. The road to Emmaus. And all of a sudden, a stranger, a fellow traveler on the road came up beside them because he overheard what they were saying, because they were talking about the amazing past week that they have had. Think about everything that they had to talk about from Palm Sunday, from when Jesus came in to Jerusalem, to all the events that had happened during Holy Week, to Good Friday, and then now to this morning, Where the women reported that he wasn't there and they reported talking to angels and they're, and they're talking along and this stranger comes up, what are you talking about? And he says, well, are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't been paying attention? Have you not been reading the headlines of the newspaper? Have you not been listening to the evening news? All right, well, well, we'll tell you what's going on because, well, all right. And so they walk along with the stranger and they begin to tell him all the events of the day and of the week. And he listens very interestingly and listens as they report. Now, what these two didn't know as they walked along to Emmaus that we know as observers from the text is that the stranger, this fellow traveler, was Jesus. Some of you may remember two years ago, and it's been much in the news the last two weeks because these two families now have gotten together to write a book. But there was a major story about two years ago of two young women, college students from Taylor University in Indiana. Who were part of a group traveling in a college van from Fort Wayne, Indiana, back to Upland, Indiana, where their university is, and their van was hit broadside by a semi truck on a on a highway. And of the nine people that were in the van, five of them were killed instantly. And you can imagine when a, a semi hits a van going at high full speed, things were just strewn everywhere. There were purses, there were papers, there were sneakers. There were bags and unfortunately there were also bodies all over the side of the road. And it was at night and so ident- identification of these bodies was difficult. As you can imagine, bodies were very much injured. One of the college students, Laura Van Rijn, was taken to the trauma unit of one of the local hospitals and was in a coma. And so she was admitted to the ICU. And another young woman who was in the van, Whitney Sirek, was pronounced dead at the scene. A few days later, her family and over 1,400 people attended the funeral for Whitney Sirek. The Van Ryn family, meanwhile, kept a 24-hour vigil at their daughter's bedside in the ICU, hoping for her to come out of her coma, for her to wake up, for her to give some hope of life. You see, the doctors had told the Van Ryn family when they were about ready to enter her room, her ICU room for the very first time, that their daughter had been so severely injured and she had a tube coming out of her mouth, obviously a ventilator, and actually there was a tube um, draining her head, so there was a tube coming out of bandages and swelling and things, that they should not be surprised if their daughter doesn't look anything at all like herself and that the other injuries and things would just take time for her to look normal. As the Siracs mourned the loss of their daughter Whitney, the Van Ryn family continued watching their daughter Laura slowly, slowly recover in her hospital bed. Weeks passed and slowly their daughter improved and was eventually able to move to a rehab hospital where the much-needed relearning of motor skills and language skills and everything that comes along with a brain injury was needed. However, after about five weeks, after many, many, in fact, the family reports hundreds of friends and family members and even Laura's own boyfriend of many years had spent hours and hours and hours with her, Laura was asked in her rehab to write her name on a piece of paper, and she grabbed a pencil and she wrote, Whitney. The family began to put a few pieces together slowly and soon realized that this young woman whom they had been caring for and loving and encouraging for five weeks was not their daughter, Laura, but in fact, it was Whitney Sirach. The two you see had an uncanny physical resemblance. And if you have the chance in the media these days to look at their pictures, you can begin to see how this could have happened. And they were misidentified by the coroner's office because no identification ever took place by family of Whitney at the scene. Suddenly, the Van Ryn family realized that the daughter that they had been caring for for five weeks, 24 hours a day at her bedside, was not theirs but was Whitney, and their daughter, Laura, was dead. As I sat and listened to Matt Lauer interview the families on Dateline, I thought, how could you not know your own daughter for five whole weeks? I mean, don't you know what she looks like? Don't you know the slant of her eyes? Don't you know the inner workings of her her movements, how she would behave, even if she was in a bit of an awkward situation, relearning things. And when you listen to the Van Rynes, very strong Christians explain their story, and you understand how the medical staff had warned them over and over again that Laura will not be behaving in her normal sense, and that she probably will look a little different, and she may not even remember them. And if you remember how much the two women actually looked alike, you sort of begin to understand maybe, but still, your own daughter? Wouldn't you have known your own daughter? Wouldn't these people, these people who were close to Jesus, who had walked with Jesus for years, who had met with him, who had meals with him, Wouldn't they know Jesus when they were walking alongside of him? Wouldn't they tell by the way he told the stories that he enlivened the scripture and the ways that he had enlivened the scripture so many times before? Wouldn't they recognize him? I mean, it hadn't been that long since he had died. The question of why these two on the road to Emmaus didn't recognize Jesus, we can come up with a few ideas. One is that... God prevented them from recognizing him. We don't know how God did it, but especially suggestive in the passive voice in which we see here, it's possible that it was God who somehow or another miraculously made it impossible for them to realize who they were, who he was. And perhaps Jesus was so utterly transformed as a result of the resurrection that he was, in fact, unrecognizable. John Galvin, in the book Gospel Interpretations, writes, The Gospels make clear, of course, that the crucified and risen Jesus is transformed. In the appearance narratives, of which this is one, even those who had known him intimately during his lifetime often fail to identify him at first and recognize him only after he takes further initiative. So maybe it was the transformation of his death and his resurrection that made him unrecognizable. Or thirdly, maybe they weren't looking for Jesus. Maybe they weren't expecting Jesus. But still, these people knew Jesus well. And these were Laura Van Rijn's own parents. Shouldn't they recognize her? In the interview of the Sirach and Van Ryn family that I saw, the Van Ryn family said that after they discovered that they had been caring for the wrong daughter all this time, that they were nervous to actually meet the Sirach family for the first time because, well, in the father's words, aren't they going to think we're a bunch of idiots? I mean, we were caring for the wrong girl all this time. But when the Van Ryn family and the Sirach family first met, the Sirach family expressed not anger, not frustration, or even coldness to the Van Ryn family. Instead, they expressed deep gratitude and deep love for caring so deeply and so wonderfully for their daughter in those five weeks in which they were not able to be there. They said they loved her for us when we couldn't be there, and for that we will always be grateful. When Jesus was walking along the road with his companions onto Emmaus, they shared stories about the past week of what had happened to Jesus, and they listened to what Jesus had to say as he enlivened the scriptures to them, as he told them what was going on, and when they when they got to their final destination and suspected that Jesus was going on ahead of them, they stopped him and they said, wait a minute, it's getting really late. Aren't you staying? Oh no, he had further to go. Well, it's late. Come on in. We'll give you something to eat. We'll give you a place to stay. It's okay. And they insisted. And so Jesus stayed. They wouldn't let him go. They shared their time with Jesus. They shared their stories, their lodging, and their food with this total stranger. And they shared it with him in spite of the fact that they didn't know he was Jesus. They shared it with him because that was the kind of people they were. They were good people who shared freely, who cared for the stranger, who welcomed the stranger into their home, They would have loved this person no differently, in fact, if they even had known it was Jesus. And it wasn't some sort of test that Jesus had on them. We don't know why they didn't recognize him, but the fact is that they didn't. And yet they still welcomed him, in fact, urged him to come in. They engaged with him and they treated him as a friend, as a loved one. It was only when Jesus actually took the bread at dinner, when he blessed it and he broke it, as they had seen him done other times, that they realized with whom they were. And at that moment, Jesus vanished. Sometimes when our life is confusing or lonely or unknown or boring, or feeling as though we just need to get away from it all, we too go on our journeys to Emmaus. We don't know why these two travelers were on the road to Emmaus. It has stumped biblical scholars, because Emmaus is rarely mentioned in the Gospels. It is rarely mentioned as a place that people lived, worked, or even went And yet we find in this gospel setting these two people going there. So we don't know if that was their home, if that was their place of employment, or what it was. But for some reason, they were going to Emmaus. Perhaps they were just going to get away from the craziness of what was happening in Jerusalem. And sometimes we go on our own journeys to get away from it all. Frederick Buchner interprets Emmaus as, quote, the place we go in order to escape, a restaurant, a movie, wherever it is that we throw up our hands and say, it makes no difference anyway. Emmaus may be buying a new suit or a new car that we don't even need or doing something unhealthy more than what we really want or reading a second-rate novel just because it's there or maybe even writing one. Emmaus is whatever we do or wherever we go to make ourselves forget that the world holds nothing sacred, that even the wisest and bravest and loveliest decay and die, that even the noblest ideas that people have had, ideas about love and freedom and justice have always in time been twisted out of shape by selfish people for selfish ends, end of quote. But amazingly, on our roads to Emmaus, the risen Lord meets us. The risen Lord meets us on our road to Emmaus in the ordinary place and experiences of our lives and in the places where we retreat when life is just too much for us. And Jesus meets us when we don't even recognize him when we may feel distant or isolated or alone or even very much abandoned. But when we are doing things that we still feel are necessary or even right to do, because sometimes our roads to Emmaus' needs to be our own journeys of faith that are full of belief, that are full of faith, even when we do not see Sometimes we need to keep doing the things we know are right to do, the things that we feel called to do, the things that that we don't even fully understand when we are doing them, but we believe in them for some reason. And sometimes God surprises us and pops up right along the road where we are when we least expect it. And sometimes God doesn't. But we keep walking. We keep walking along, hoping and praying that we are on the right path, seeking the right things. Because we are walking in the faith as people of God, that Jesus is always with us, even if we can't see Jesus to the end of time on the first anniversary about a year ago of the car accident of Laura and Whitney and the other 7 of Taylor University the Cirac and the Van Ryan family got together to commemorate the 1 year anniversary they had not seen each other very often during that first year since the awareness of the misidentification had occurred And so when Whitney and her mother were talking together before seeing the Van Ryn family, they were talking about how they felt guilty about seeing the Van Ryn family, about how their family, it turned out okay that they got back together, but the Van Ryn family had lost a daughter. So when Whitney saw Mr. Van Ryn for the first time and that when they were together, she hugged him and she just confessed to her how bad she feels that her family got the happy ending and that his didn't. And Mr. Van Ryn looked at Whitney and he said right away without hesitating, our family got the happy ending too, Whitney. It's just that our story hasn't finished yet. Alan Culpepper wrote, The experience of the presence of God is not a private gift. It is never for us alone. Neither is the discovery of the empty tune, nor in the discovery of the identity of a fellow traveler, is the familiar command to go and tell what is typical of other resurrection scenes. These words, He is risen, and so shall we be someday may seem like idle tales to other people, but for those of us who have witnessed God's transcendent presence in our lives at a tomb, on a lonely road, or in hospitality extended to a fellow traveler, they are a transforming reality. May we keep our eyes open for the presence of God in our lives, on our roads to Emmaus. And when we don't see Jesus, may we live as if we do, because we know that Jesus is indeed with us, even through the lonely journeys of our lives. Amen.